0: You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Locked On Horn Frogs, your daily TCU podcast. Welcome in. It is uh, Tuesday. Appreciate you joining us. Kansas week for the football team. We're going to talk about the coaching search here in segment one as that continues to roll along. Another job came open on Tuesday morning. Um, and we'll discuss how that might affect TCU and what they're doing. And we'll also hit on uh, TCU basketball. They're 2-0 after getting a victory over Southern Miss last night. And they did it in pretty dominant fashions and impressive things from the men's basketball team early on in the season. So we'll cover that on the show today. But let's start with the TCU coaching search and an update on the candidates and the news and just sort of where we are um, at this point in the process. On Monday, Drew Davidson reported – that TCU had not ruled out Deion Sanders. He was not completely out of the mix, but they were focusing their attention on other candidates, and those candidates being Billy Napier, Sonny Dykes, uh, Matt Campbell, and Tony Elliott with Napier and Dykes continuing to look like the front runners right now. Um, I-, I think this played out pretty well for for TCU. You know, they listened to what Deion had to say. <clears throat> Apparently he was impressive in the interview. He's a very charismatic guy, obviously. I'm not surprised that he could get in there and sell himself. Um, And I I think it's a a unique – it would be a unique road to go down. I feel like it's not a bad idea to explore all your options. But ultimately, they decided this was too risky of a hire to move forward in the process with it, which makes a lot of sense. Um, The players made it known that they wanted Dion, so you have to deal from whatever fallout, you know, is going to bring from that. But I think ultimately – the players will understand. And if anybody was kind of on the fence about staying or going based on the coaching hire, then um, you're, you're probably going to lose them anyway. So well, we'll see how that plays out over the next few weeks. But it appears Deion Sanders is no longer in the mix, still reportedly in the mix, but not a strong candidate at this time. And it looks like we're down to four names, Billy Napier, Sonny Dykes, um, Matt Campbell, and Tony Elliot. Tony Elliot, offensive coordinator at Clemson, has won a couple national titles there as an assistant coach. His Clemson won the Broyles Award in twenty seventeen as the top assistant coach in the nation. Now the Clemson offense has struggled this year. They have been um, pretty bad all season long, honestly. Uh, you know, obviously switching quarterbacks from Trevor Lawrence uh, was a big part of that. But Tony's proven that he can coach. Um, he's a hot. He's been a hot name on the market in the head coaching market for a long time. I honestly, like, <laughs> these these hires are a crapshoot in general. I would be a little underwhelmed if it ended up being Tony, but that doesn't mean he, it wouldn't be a good fit for the university. He wouldn't be a good head coach. I just think the shine has worn off on him a little bit, given what's happened at Clemson this season. But if you look at the bigger picture and his resume, it's really, really impressive. And obviously what he did there with Dabo Sweeney um, deserves you know a hard look. And – the, the tricky thing about TCU at this point, so Elliot, you know, he's he's there. I think he'll probably be available at the end of the season. But, again, that's a hot name, so you, you might have interest from other schools. Um, Matt Campbell, you don't really know anything other than TCU is interested. It appears he doesn't really want to talk before the season's over. So I think that one's not very likely unless he's just blown away buy the job itself at TCU and is just simply waiting until the season's over out of respect for Iowa State. Um, but the two front runners, Sonny Dykes, you know, there's there's some chatter, there's some murmurs that he might sign an extension with SMU, which I think would effectively end his candidacy. I mean, that's not like buyouts are meant to be paid, they're meant to be broken. It's not necessarily legally binding to him, but I would imagine if SMU is signing him to an extension, they have language in that contract that's going to make it really difficult for him to jump ship. And also, it's just sort of a public, it, more than anything, it's just sort of a public um, announcement of, hey, I'm happy here, please leave me alone. Uh, so if, if he does end up doing that this week, then I, I think the chances of him being at TCU become much less likely here's here's the here's the thing about napier that is nerve-wracking and me and matt jennings were talking about this monday if you want to go back and listen to that but i mean his name is going to come up in a lot of jobs like we're still waiting to see what florida does i think he'll be in the mix at lsu i know lsu is shooting very high scott woodard has made some big time hires um since he's been there as athletic director you know he went and got kim mulkey uh, as a women's basketball coach last season, which was a big coup. Um, they're apparently interested in, in names like Lincoln Riley and Jimbo Fisher. So that's kind of their starting point. But if those guys say no, then I think that list could trickle down to Billy Napier pretty fast. If the Florida job comes open, I imagine Billy Napier is going to be involved in that search. Justin Fuente was let go at Virginia Tech today. Obviously, Justin has those TCU ties. Um, and it's unfortunate for him, but from a Virginia Tech perspective, I saw on Twitter this morning, multiple people were saying, you know, that Napier would be the top candidate for the Vitek job, and that's another good job. I mean, it's a completely different part of the country, but it's passionate fan base. It's in the ACC. So, I'm all for going all out for Billy Napier because I think he's a great coach. I think he would be a great fit for TCU, but. the the thing you have to have in your mind, and I know they have this in mind because they're smart people, is that if you wait around and wait around and all of a sudden, you know, first week, second week of December, he says no, well, then you're scrambling to get your second choice, whether that's Sonny Dykes, whether that's Tony Elliott, whether you have to go completely in a complete different direction. And now you're bumping up on early signing day. So... This is just, this is part of the game. This is an unfortunate part of the coaching search. And you, you, you hope and you pray, well, you know, depending on how much you care, you pray. You hope that they have some sort of handshake deal in place with their top guy, if that is Billy Napier, and some sort of understanding that, hey, when the season's over, you come over here and let's get this going. But we'll see how that shakes out. Still a long Way to go. When we come back, we'll discuss uh, TCU and Southern Miss last night in basketball. This is Locked On Horn Frogs, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Okay, TCU Horn Frogs, they are now 2 0 on the season. Uh, men's basketball team, they get another victory over Southern Miss on Monday night. Mike Miles had a huge night. It was another team victory. A lot of guys played a lot of minutes. Um, and they get the win, 83 to 51. Offense looked much better in this one. Just kind of going down the box score real quick. Mike Miles led the way with uh, 20 points on the night. Um, Emmanuel Miller had 12 points and 13 rebounds. Micah Peavy had 10 points. He hit a three. He looked more comfortable in the flow of the offense. Jacoby Cole's came off the bench and had nine points. Uh, Shadow Wells, the UTA transfer, he came off the bench and had seven points in 11 minutes, so he's a guy that could potentially fill it up. Um, tough night shooting for Chuck O'Bannon. He was one of four, only had three points on the day, but he looks more comfortable shooting the basketball. So, impressions about TCU basketball early in the season. One, defensively, this team gets after you. They are long, they're big, they're athletic, and they have been you know, stifling some less talented opponents. So far this season, forcing turnovers. You'd like to see those turnovers lead to more points on the offensive side of the ball, um, but they're at least you know, creating tough shots, forcing teams into bad looks, getting rebounds, clearing the ball, and going down the floor. So I love that. Offensively, they have some playmakers. Mike Miles looks great. He looked um, just fantastic last night. He was aggressive, he was decisive. It just felt like when he got the ball, he knew what he wanted to do uh, and he knew where he was going. And decided, hey, I'm going to make plays. I'm going to punch this team, whether it's stepping back and taking a three, which he hit a few of those last night, or it was going to the rim and getting buckets. Uh, he was big for TCU all night long. Their starting lineup was a little different. Xavier Cork got the start in favor of Eddie Lampkin at center, and uh, Fran Farabello came off. Or he started instead of coming off the bench. And I really like, offensively, I really like what Farabello and Miles bring on the court when they're on the court together, because Miles can play off the ball a little bit. Fran's a shooter, so he can spread the floor if Mike's going to penetrate. They can trade off on ball handling duties. You're going to have Mike being the main distributor. So I I like that combo. I like that backcourt combo a lot. That was fun to watch early in the game on Monday. Another sort of wrinkle, they started Xavier Cork, as I said earlier, Um, but Cork didn't play, and I don't remember him getting in foul trouble early. He didn't play very long, before Lampkin came off the bench and got some minutes. So again, I mean, you're seeing like this, this center rotation, um, it really is a rotation. I mean, Lampkin played 13 minutes, Quirk played 17 minutes, uh, Samuel Dumbaya played 10 minutes. So none of these guys are playing for long stretches of time, which I think can work because one, with, with big guys like that, you want high energy, right? Like you want high motor. And if you can get that in your front court, for 40 minutes, that's huge. And if if the way to do that is by switching these guys out constantly, then I'm okay with it. Lampkin is a pretty depth scorer inside. Like he had six points in his limited minutes. He was three of six from the field. Um, He just has nice touch around the rim. He seems to understand how to use his body, which is a big plus. Cork is more of a hustle dude. He's getting rebounds. He's playing good defense. But he was able to capitalize on some easy buckets as well. Uh, We'll see how this plays out. You know, you'd love to have just a dude down there that's going to play 25, 30 minutes and be the guy. But if that's not the case, then, yeah, just keep rotating these players. And I think we'll see a lot of rotations in non-conference play as they try to figure out – what the best option there is. Emmanuel Miller was really impressive. 12 points and 13 rebounds. He was a scorer at Texas A&M. Now, that was a bad team at Texas A&M. He was one of the leading scorers in the SEC. Like That was his job. It was to go get points. But he had another double-double last night. He had some blocks. He like, has just sort of filled this role so far as a do-everything type of guy, which is not what I expected from him. Um, but I'm really impressed with it because he's showing that he's not just limited to being a guy that's going to get buckets, even though that's a part of his game. Brandon Parrish, former player at TCU, I saw him comment last night on Twitter this morning. It was one of those two. He said uh, Emmanuel Miller kind of reminds him of Kenrich Williams, just a dude that can do it all. Like he can go score if you need him to, but he's most comfortable just sort of playing within the flow of the offense, getting rebounds, blocking shots. And the two games that he's been to TCU uniform, He has been really impressive, so I love that. Negatives, I mean, you're still turning the ball over too much, and there are still stretches. You know, There was a stretch in the first half last night, about four or five minutes, where they just did not get a good look. They were turning the ball over. They weren't being strong with the ball. It was very sloppy. And to a certain extent, you'll see that early in the game, early in the season. Um, But it's two games in a row where they sort of had that stretch early in the game where they just didn't play very well, and they were turning the ball over and not making things happen. So they play Nichols State later this week, and uh, Nichols State actually played Baylor yesterday afternoon and got uh, shellacked. Baylor dominated them pretty well. So we'll see how TCU stacks up against Nichols. That's actually a team that's won the Southland Conference the last few years. So it's not a totally, um, you know, in-up mid-major school. Like, they're going to come in and try to get after TCU a little bit. The non-conference schedule moving forward, not a ton of tests. You know, honestly, like, you play Oral Roberts, early in December which is a really good team well coached by Paul Mills they went to the uh, sweet 16 last year before bowing out to Arkansas so they'll take an Oral Roberts in early December another game with Texas A&M in December Utah coming to town those are a couple power five opponents and then at Georgetown the Big 12 Big East challenge uh, Georgetown kind of a middle of the road Big East team but they have athletes that's a basketball school so those should be some good measuring sticks moving forward and that stretch early in the Big Twelve play, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but I know in two of the first three games they play Kansas and Baylor. And I can't remember who sandwiched in between there. But we're gonna find out really quick really quickly, excuse me, just how good this team is and what they bring to the table. I like what I'm seeing so far though from this unit. I think again, they're just big, physical, athletic, they're making things happen. Um, good effort, some high motor players I feel like they have some some ability inside. The guard play with Miles and, and Farabello is obviously really good, and a dude in the front court like Miller who can go make some plays. I imagine this bench rotation is going to get shorter as the year goes on, but right now they're kind of playing everybody, and everyone seems to be contributing uh, significant minutes. And Damian Ball, he went down with a uh, leg injury, ankle injury in game one. He was in a boot last night, but Jamie uh, Dixon actually said that he could be available for the Nickel State game. So it doesn't seem like a real serious injury for him. So good news on that front. We'll come back and wrap things up. This is Locked On Horn Frogs, again, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, Locked On Horn Frogs uh, closing up shop here. Don't forget, later this week we'll have coverage of this big Kansas game. Um, TCU still has a chance to get bowl eligible. They got to win their last two games, have to beat Kansas at home, and they beat Iowa State. Uh, will they honor Gary Patterson at the Kansas game? We'll try to figure out and dissect that as the week goes on. Also, TCU soccer—they're getting ready for their round two matchup in the NCAA tournament. That is, all, that is all coming up later this week. Excuse me, on Lockdown Horn Frogs. Appreciate you tuning in today.